asking DJ Khaled. Paparazzi guy asked DJ Khaled. Um, it was something about like how many Big Macs or something he could eat. Yeah. He goes, don't ever play yourself. <laughs> yeah. How many chicken nuggets can you take yeah, down in one that's it right there. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, episode number 72 of the Shetty Show, the Shivanetti Show, brought to you live from, you guessed it, Chicago, Illinois. We've been gone for a couple weeks. We took a two-week hiatus because Shiv has become the reincarnation of Lewis and Clark, and he's been traveling across the United States of America, and that's why we took a two-week break. Honestly, we're juiced for this podcast. It's been a minute since we've talked to you guys and uh, a minute since we've talked to each other, so we're going to catch up on a lot of stuff today. For sure, man. Yeah, I definitely, I think uh, two-week break uh, for our listeners out there. Thanks for patiently waiting. Um, you know, I I always knew that uh, there, there's definitely times, and I think definitely coming up two in both of our lives where we're extremely busy. And yeah, you're right. Like uh, the past two weeks, I have been traveling uh, to a couple states in the United States, some for work, some to visit some friends. So uh, it's glad to, I'm glad to be back. I'm really excited for this one. Super excited. Um, last thing I'll say on the podcast front is we realize we haven't had a guest in about five episodes, and it's all right because sometimes that just happens. A lot of people are busy. Sometimes people just don't want to come on for whatever reason. And so we're trying our best to get good content, good guests on, but it'll take time. Yeah, you know what, too, and it's it's just – coordinating schedules and stuff it's it's uh it's it's one of those things where we're gonna enjoy the challenge and uh a couple times you know man uh you know what it is it's it's the other thing is i want to see quality people so we're very selective too mm -hmm. with who we have on and i think i think that's a good thing because if you look at our past guests uh claudiana to be to be one andrew edgar to be another uh it, it, tim plowman tim plowman uh, it, you really, uh, Nick Champion, like yep. you, you really, you really, if you go back and listen to those episodes, there's a lot of value in all different facets of life, whether we're talking about gambling, whether we're talking about insurance, successful careers, uh, how to be, you know, abs absolutely massive. I think uh, all of those podcasts have a lot of value and our podcast with, with Just Us have a lot of value. We started that way. Uh, for a reason too. So a lot to come though. I think, I think on the guest front, you will see that definitely pick up over the next uh, few months. Absolutely, man. One thing I wanted to commend you on before we got into the real talk is uh, the videos, man. The last Instagram video that we posted that you cut up and edited got almost 10,000 plays, which, really? which is almost our most ever. For some reason, bro, it got like 1,500 plays on Facebook and we didn't post it there. So don't know how it got over to Facebook, but somebody sent it to somebody and it got played a bunch over there too. Um, and yeah, man, almost 10K plays on our last video. It's the most, uh, it's the most viewership we've ever had on anything. Um, so it's pretty lit, man. It was, it was good. And you know what's funny too? Is it's probably the one conversation that was as meaningless as they come, right? Like yep. it's, it's between three friends talking about video games Yep. It has nothing to do with the outside world. There's no value really there. Stirred besides, up some controversy. It it did a lot of hateful, I went a lot back, of hateful comments. I, was, I went back. I'm like, man, uh, you you guys are listen. You guys are right. All right, not true gamers. No, definitely not. not. You know, if you go back, that was the point of the video. Uh, so I actually, no, I'm glad you said that. Uh, I thought it was funny, and yeah, that, that you're right. It was one of those where it's like, there's no point to that. It's just a funny. It's just funny. It's so. just a funny clip, man. And maybe. Um, Maybe that's something we should note moving forward, I guess. Yeah, yeah definitely. Because <laughs> it worked, man. Whatever yeah. whatever happened worked. Um, but yeah, dude, there's so much we can talk about. I think I wanted to kind of skip over sports as much as possible today because the last sure. few have been sports heavy. Sure. Um, so we'll get right into it. Met Gala. Is that's going on this weekend? That's right? going on this weekend. And before this podcast started, I had no clue what that was about. And I looked it up. Apparently, it's a charity. Um and it's a chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, but I, I just thought it was a place where celebrities go and dress like absolute weirdos. Uh, yeah, that too. Because I've, I've been seeing some of the pictures today. Have you been seeing them on your feed? Uh, no, um, I haven't. But I, I have in the past, and they're people. They, they pop out with some creative designs over there. Some real creative stuff. Jared Leto showed up in a cat suit. So, call that creative if you want to. But, yeah. uh, really, really strange 
thing. But yeah, I didn't know it was a charity. Uh, I thought it was just like a, a thing where elites get together and show off their wealth. Did, did it say what charities it gets donated to? <sighs> uh, the uh, It's an art institute. So it goes to like this big art pres preservation company. Um, so, I mean, I guess it's a cool cause. You know, I thought it'd be maybe something more community-driven. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no. but no. But, you know, art, I'm not saying art preservation is not important. <laughs> you know, that thing probably raises a ton of money. Can I ask you a question? How much do you know about fine art? Uh, not enough to be dangerous, but enough to be curious. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's definitely something at first I was like, why would anybody ever do this? Mm -hmm. And then people started buying JPEGs of weird shapes and rocks and whatever you could think of. Uh, and it's one of those things where, you know, you hear Jay-Z talk about it. You see a lot of billionaires who buy a lot of art. I guarantee you, you know, Elon Musk probably has a lot of art. And I also guarantee you that guy's probably interest in the fine arts is less than a lot of other things in his life. So I, I'm definitely just curious as to why. Yeah, I'm really curious too. I know that Jay Z bar that goes. I bought some artwork for one million. Two years later, that shit turned two million. Mm. Three years later, that shit turned eight million. Next year, I'm gonna give it to my children. Right. Um. So apparently, according to him, it holds value and it appreciates a decent amount over time. But the thing that I've always had a problem with wrapping my head around is what makes a certain piece of piece of art art, because I've seen people throw dots on a wall. And it could go for 100K to 200,000. And then those same dots, just because it's another artist, will be valued at a way lower, way, way lower price. And to me, it just, market values make no sense in art to me. But maybe I'm an idiot. I think to a certain respect, you can think of that in a way of, you know, we grew up with our music. We, but if you were to play our music... 10 years before or to, to people who are older than us that don't listen to the same type of music we do mm -hmm. and our generation, they would think, why would anybody listen to this? And we can even think of examples right now where we're like, what, why in the world does this have a billion streams? Like this is just gibberish, right? I sort of think of it in that way where it's like, you just see a guy just splash a bunch of stuff on a canvas and you're like, why would you ever buy that? It's because we don't understand it. Yeah. And it's the same token. It's like a, a, a deep Southern country fan listening to New York City drill music and going, what's happening here? Mm. You know, I really think it's just a disparity in understanding. Okay. That's a really good point. I, that was a great analogy. That, that uh, definitely puts it into perspective for me. I think going forward, I would like to learn a little bit more about it. Um, and then maybe like a year or two down the road, have, an, have another conversation about it. And it's also a thing where it's not like I'm getting into it now. No. I'm going to go buy a $200,000 piece of artwork. You know, that'll, that'll hopefully be uh, a hobby of mine. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. A lot of other things have to happen. But uh, it's definitely interesting to see what rich people are buying. For sure. Yeah. You know, why is a stripe down a canvas worth three four hundred thousand you know mm. also the other thing that happens with art and one of the the avenues on especially with the nfts were they were used to launder money uh and that that's they're currently being used to do that so a lot of the time especially with the nft market when you see a lot of you know there's already enough random nfts that go for an absurd price obviously not as much now but you you did see you know some you can draw the line at outlandish by anyone's definition outlandish prices for certain nfts those are you know likely to be cause of something other than what we're talking about too and that happens with real art that does happen with real art mm. you know art gets passed around it's considered a collectible for tax purposes so there's a lot of uh different nuances that go into that but in our context i i just i just don't understand yeah 100 percent agree um what else has happened? You went to Austin, Texas. Yes, sir. Um, you met with some of the boys. I unfortunately couldn't go on the trip, but um, without too much detail, what did you think about Austin, the city? Yeah. And um, is the the are the rumors true about the Great Migration from California to Texas? 
Oh, man, Austin, Texas is beautiful, man. Yeah. Uh, it, it's definitely different, right? Mm-hmm. We live in damn near the center of the city of Chicago. Uh, the way you do things on a daily basis is way different. I walk everywhere. You don't walk there. Um, the infrastructure needs a lot of work, but it is currently being worked on. The Where I was staying, right next to it, this super highway was being built. In terms of the people, the city, I thought the people were great. Um, you know, and, and you touched on it, that, that migration, I, it's not that I met a lot of people from California. I realistically, I met people from everywhere, all different parts, Colorado, Chicago, Minneapolis, everywhere. Uh, but I definitely think there, ha- it's, it's a different culture than if I were to go maybe 30 minutes outside of the city. Uh, with that being said, I think the city's dope. I think the environment, the general vibe of, of Austin is generally positive and the, the people are happy and you could tell that there's an ecosystem in place where money is being made. Mm. You know, that type of, that type of energy, that opportunistic energy is definitely there. And, uh, I, yeah, it's a dope place. I definitely visit again. And, um, I, it'd be interesting to see what ends up happening with that market. No. Yeah. Super interesting. Do you think that market is going to bottom out? Do you think it's already bottomed out or do you think in 10 years it still has upward potential? I think it does have. I think it has upward potential. You got to. Mm. You got to think that there's a lot of land around Austin that's still very like bare, mm. undeveloped, and uh, this the state of Texas has very favorable laws for uh, you know people who are moving out of a very deep blue states. You know, and that's just evidenced by the numbers, right? Yeah. The amount of people that have moved there. The the population I think is up over. I think 20% or something. Someone will have to fact check me on that. But it's uh, one of those things where I, sure, maybe the prices will stagnate. Maybe they'll go down a little. I just don't see, I think it's still growing. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. still room. There's still room there. Unless something drastically changes, maybe on a, you know, whether it's uh, an environmental, political, uh, 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 broader scheme, economic landscape. I don't really see Austin, Texas going anywhere. I think it's only going up. You heard it here first, buying Austin. Um, very good points. I remember when I visited Dallas in 2016. I don't know how much you're going to resonate with, with this because I, I don't know the difference between Dallas and Austin. I've never been to Austin. But from when I went to Dallas, Dallas is obviously a big city. But to me, coming from Chicago, everything is much more spread out. On the busiest day in Dallas, it still doesn't even touch the busiest day here. And I just think there... And maybe maybe it is just the infrastructure thing that you were mentioning earlier. Like, it's just not built out the way it is in Chicago, New York, L.A. Would you kind of agree with that in a lot of ways? So, 100%. I mean, right. On its busiest day, it is not Chicago. Yeah. It is not New York, right? Um and and yes, part of it, it the, a lot of the traffic and the buildup there is because the infrastructure is not there. With that being said, it's not like they can't build it. Right? Yeah. It just takes time, and there's going to be a period of a few years where, you know, traffic is really bad, and if the you know the population might not grow at the rate that it has the past couple of years, but if it does keep growing, it's going to need it. Uh, most of the roads there are two lanes, mm-hmm. right? In Chicago, we have multiple four lane highways. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, you know, one of them is just. Terrible. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, 88 might be next because they got to repair the bridges. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not, Dude, 88's always next. 88's been getting work done since 2017. They need to fix the Austin exit. I swear to God. The, the Austin uh, Chicago exit. Yeah. Not the Austin, Texas exit. But in Austin, Texas, uh, I would definitely say that, you know, it's not as active, right? It's a population of just under a million. Mm-hmm. And uh the, the 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 one thing is though is i would say it, the disparity of income mm. in austin has drastically changed because of the amount of people with wealth that have moved in mm. right it's uh it's not like chicago where there's so many chicago new york la any big major city where there are a lot of people but in terms of velocity of money of all of those people right how much do those people spend there's a great disparity right yeah mm-hmm. I, I didn't see that in austin i was only there for three days right so yeah. uh, i'll have to do more economic research on that but yeah I, you know if you're talking about biggest markets i mean 
it's ain't nothing's gonna get to Chicago, let alone you know over there in New York and LA anytime soon. Yeah, no, completely agree. I think one of the crazy things that happened with the pandemic was so many people getting the opportunity to work from home and just wanting to move to a warmer state, state with no income tax, and that's why you just saw this influx of people moving to Texas, Florida, even uh, you know Louisiana, like all these mm-hmm. southern states, man, that income tax free. Yep. Tennessee's another one. Tennessee's that got a, another one. A huge influx Tennessee's of people. Tennessee's even bigger than Austin, Texas. Apparently, Tennessee's even bigger than that. Really? In Na- terms of like Nashville? Last year, I think. Oh, no. Uh, the state total of Tennessee. The, the state yeah, yeah. of Tennessee. Wow. Okay. Uh, it's for the exact same reasons that you said, man. And and that's another, that's actually one, you know, counter argument maybe to my point of Austin, Texas is going to be this next, or it already is the next big thing, but keep being a bit bigger thing is that's slowly ending. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, more employers are asking people back to the office. There's less remote jobs that are being posted online. It, it's uh, a general movement back to the way things were. Now, obviously, they won't be they won't be the same. Yeah. You know, nothing will be the same. But at the same time, you're right. That had a large driver into all those people moving there is because they just could. You know, yeah. you can't really strictly do that anymore in a lot of jobs. Yeah, man, it's interesting how the workplace has changed so much in the past three years alone. Yeah, three years, man. It it really is, you know, I feel like some of the stuff that has ended up changing, even with technology, too, you know, the way we communicate. I think, you know, it really started when I started my career was Skype. Yeah. We used a lot of Skype. And then it moved to Teams, and then the Teams is now getting integrated because if you have Microsoft 365, it's getting integrated with all of your files, and it's the same thing with Slack and mm-hmm. just the way things are done. You know, video conferencing when we were kids to our parents was really not uh, much of a thing. That was more for specialized meetings, and it was really if the person really couldn't make it out to the city to have an in-person meeting. And now mm-hmm. it's like, well, we could just get on the phone every single morning, and you could be seven hours away and I could be uh, seven hours away and it, it wouldn't matter. Yeah, 100%. And you can almost argue it's more productive because there's no like chit chat or camaraderie like when you have to meet in person. You know how there's always like that side talk and side conversation that happens yeah. like, I don't know, I guess, um, what's the right word for it? Just like um, I small could, talk. I could touch on that point though is... You're right. I definitely think productivity-wise, if we're talking about straight getting stuff done, mm-hmm. uh, you're probably better off at home, right? Uh, just less variables that you have to handle in terms of getting to work. The other the caveat of that is this hidden, it's, it's, a, it's a hidden goodwill, if you will, right? At the end of the day, I think people, and in that happiness advantage book uh, that we talked about uh, before, and I think I might have briefly mentioned it on the last podcast that we had, uh, he talks about it where he's saying, you know, you have to really uh, have uh, interaction beyond the means of just the job itself, mm-hmm. right? Uh, to, to really be productive and good at the job and to, to, to want to do your job, right? At the end of the day, your job is really, your happiness at your job is really encompassed by the people that you work with. And mm-hmm. if you can end up building those relationships that are beyond the give, give order, take order, and do task and receive feedback uh, uh, loop, I think it's something that, you know, will help people's careers who don't do that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so much harder to reach out to somebody for like a real quick question that you would just never do at home. No, you're 100% right on that. I think even me starting a new job recently, it would definitely be much harder for me to learn in a short period of time if I wasn't in office. Mm-hmm. Um, just because accessibility to everybody who's there. Like if I have a question, I can immediately walk into somebody's office and ask it. Mm-hmm. And with Teams, it's one of those things with, oh, are they busy? Should I hit them up at this time? Will they respond right away? Might take them some time. It could really prolong that process. So you're 100% right on that point. I, I definitely agree with you. Um, but yeah, man, I think overall, good good talks on uh, work from home. Yeah, but I mean, the, one of the things that uh, I was curious about that I wanted to get your opinion on is you're someone who's you know deep in the real estate market. You're doing a lot yeah. of research in that space is rent control what was your what are your thoughts on that and this is from my perspective it's more of a curiosity thing i really don't 
uh, really know what the effects might be on, you know, for me, I'm looking to maybe buy in a year from now. Uh, and in an area like Chicago, especially that that is starting to be imposed more. It's do, it's happening in L.A. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, places that are heavily rent controlled. So what are your what are your brief thoughts of that from a from a, a, a someone's perspective of looking to, to buy a place? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to break it down a very, at a very high level, rent, rent control is essentially just capping the amounts of the the maximum amount of rent that a landlord can charge in a certain municipality. Mm. That's at that's at its, at its high highest level. That's all it is. Basically, you're capping the rent so that homes become more affordable. That's the basic understanding of rent control. That's what it's supposed to do. And of course, when things are more affordable, there's an argument that the economy can be stimulated more because people have more uh, money to spend on other things and maybe they'll take more care of their apartments because they actually aren't paying more in rent or they don't have to deal with rent increases every year. There's a whole lot of things that are tied into that that are on the pro-rent control side. The thing that a lot of people don't realize though, and I was reading and listening to a couple podcasts on this, is that rent control can greatly, greatly kill growth in a community. And here's and there's a couple reasons why. The first reason why is because it needs to be adopted by all municipalities in that area. And here's an example, right? In Minnesota, in St. Paul, they decided to implement rent control. In Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is just 20, 30 minutes away, they did not. And the effect on St. Paul, Minnesota was huge because of a few reasons. The first one is that it automatically deters landlords and investors from building new supply. Hmm. Because why would they want to build new supply in an area where rents are capped? They can't grow. Less cash out of pocket for them. Less cash that they'll have to work or fix a property or their, renovate. Their incoming cash flow is capped. Their, in, their incoming cash flow is capped, exactly. And so what will happen there is they're just, you're, you're deterring a large subset of the population who really is actually moving real money around, mm-hmm. right? These are people buying properties. These are people who are trying to scale a certain portfolio, whatever it is. Um, and so it caps them from that ability. That's number one. Number two is that um, in the St. Paul, Minneapolis example and the Minneapolis, Minnesota example, or St. Sorry, St. Paul, Minnesota example and the uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota example, everybody just moved on over to Minneapolis, Minnesota, where rent control wasn't a thing. And immediately supply, new supply dropped by 88% in St. Paul that same month, right? So people just completely stopped building altogether. Wow. And so what happens when there is no supply? Wow. I mean, genuinely speaking, what happens when there's no supply? If if there's no no housing supply. People need homes. People can't find homes. Right. People can't rent, right? Okay. And so it, it just causes this whole whirlwind type thing that uh, that can become uncontrollable. How, how does that though affect the existing properties in the area though, right? Because I, I feel like when it, if we're to, are we talking in, an, in in a situation where demand is stagnant and the supply goes down, right? Would, would the price not go up or no? Well, that that's also that's a good counterpoint. Um, I would think personally, if demand is stagnant in an area. Or you're you're saying if the demand like was the demand for places in St. Paul like did did that also go down along with the supply or did the did the demand for like did people move out of St. Paul? I think people moved out of St. Paul completely. Okay. Okay. I think I think the demand was probably stagnant there anyway. I don't know the exact number on this, so this is me kind of just speculating. But either way, you're also saying it's like even if the property, let's say in that situation, the property did maybe stay the same or slightly go up in value because the supply went down and the demand was the same. Mm. You're saying that, but you still can't grow communities though without new development. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's the biggest thing that tends to happen with these rent control communities, right? Is that development tend, people just tend to leave and they'll start developing. So it was like what you said earlier, it literally just stagnates. Exactly. And another thing people have to realize is that commercial real estate. So, we're talking your strip malls. We're talking your office buildings. We are talking um, your 
uh, five plus unit apartment buildings, you know, your mega complexes, your restaurants, your bars, all of these things that heavily stimulate the economy are owned by very large corporations. Right. Right. And if large corporations know that their rent's going to get capped, their cash flow is going to get capped in a certain area, they're going to leave. Right. They're going to leave. And so it causes this whole like downward spiral of things that that's going on. And I think the point, the reason I started looking into this a little bit is because as we know, Chicago is a very progressive city. Mm. We just elected a very progressive mayor, and this apparently is going to be on the cards this year. And I was listening to a podcast where there was a lawmaker who's on the other side. He's representing the um, the non-rent control side. Right. Um, so he's against rent control, and he's basically saying we're in for the fight of our lives this year. Really? Yeah. So, what areas are? Is there specific areas, or you're not talking about the whole city, right? I, I truly, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Okay. Um, it could, in, in in my opinion, it wouldn't, it would make sense if it was the entire city. I don't know why they would do it in some areas and not others. Um, it it just that causes a complete imbalance of. Yeah, I mean, there's no way they would do that. No, that right. Be, yeah, so, so, so to me, it has to be the whole city, or right. you can't do it at all. No, no, no. You mean the opposite. You mean the opposite. Right? What do you mean? It, it would have to be in certain areas. There's no way that, that you can't do it in the whole city. Well, you, I, th- I think that if they were to do that in certain areas, it would just kill that certain neighborhood. Well, I mean, you can't rent control the whole city, though. You can't, but, like, what, what's the benefit to only rent controlling one area? Well, 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 wouldn't that be the point? No, because if it, the, the point I was saying earlier was why would people invest in that area anymore? They could just but leave and move to a neighborhood next door. It would like oh, but so that you're basically saying they would have a rent cap for every single neighborhood in the city. That's or they wouldn't that, have one at all. That would be that would be my understanding of the way to make it work. Okay. If they wanted rent control to work truly, they would have to do it to the entire city. So they would say like Lincoln Park is uh, a one bedroom is capped at twenty three hundred, and then in. Uh, River North, it'd be capped at 2700 is right. what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, something like that. Because to me, if you're going out and rent controlling only Lincoln Park, what's going to stop me, an investor, from just going to Lakeview? I see. I you see. Know? I see. So, I see. so th- my, my point is this. If they're going to do it, they would have to do it to the entire city. But the problem is places like Schaumburg, places like Naperville, places like um, Algonquin, you know, these places aren't going to implement that right so you're saying you're driving traffic you're, out of the you're city. driving everything out of the city dang man and okay. um and i know that was a very like basic explanation of it but there's a really really good freakonomics podcast on this okay um so for those of you who want to look it up it's freakonomics three something um i got put on to this podcast by one of the straight up chicago investor guys and uh i listened to it it was really good what do you what do you think about um that that type of that lifestyle that uh the demand for suburban lifestyle has really only gone up and you know I, wh- what do you like wh- the, if the, if this if this event ends up happening you're saying the suburbs are going to get basically an increase in demand i would think so yeah right so it's uh that's quite interesting that you, that you say that because it it's one of those i i don't know how i feel about the fact that uh, you all we're gonna do is prop up areas that, like in in general, Chicago is the area that makes the money. You yeah, know what I mean? Sure. It's where all the action ends up happening. So, mm-hmm. um, you're I think you're definitely right about the corporate investor side, where you see a ceiling and that's that's a tough sell. Yeah. They, what, what what we want to hear is unlimited potential. Mm-hmm. You know, so they don't want to um, hear that their their returns are capped at six to eight percent, eight percent, or or less, or less, dude. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and it, because how often would that be changed? Now, would, would you have to change the rent cap every year? You know, I feel like that's just another layer of complexity that is just probably not needed. It is, 100%. And the other thing with it, too, is, like, typically, rent growth and rent increase is a good thing for a neighborhood. Typically, right? Sure. Because Unless it's outrageous like New uh, York. Right. Right, fair. There's outliers. But at, at a steady rate every year, we're talking, like, 2 3% a year, that genuinely means that more money is being invested in the neighborhood, generally, because right. you're getting higher paying tenants, mm-hmm. getting more people who want to stimulate the economy, people who take better care of their homes. It's typically a good thing right. for the area. Now, where rent control c- 
could be very beneficial is in impoverished areas. Right. But the reality is how much are rents getting increased in a, a bad neighborhood in the city of Chicago? I don't know. I don't either, but I don't think it's uh, an obscene amount. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, you would think. Right? Like, Because you really can't go no. that high. The demand's not there. Exactly. And right. in, in lower-income neighborhoods, usually you have uh, Section 8 housing, mm. so a lot of it being subsidized by the federal government anyway. So most of these people aren't paying you know, a ridiculous rate to live in the areas they're already you, living in. Yeah, because you can find you can find more affordable places down in, let's say, the south side of Chicago. Right, absolutely. So that's just my whole point on it. Obviously, mm. I did probably like a day of research on it, and that was those were my findings. I'm going to look more into it as I get in the game myself. Um, but, yeah, I just think it's, it's one of those things where I think it's good to talk about because I think so many people, especially in the comment section, are very pro rent control because they just think that capping a rent is going to solve all the all your problems in the world, and in reality they just don't understand how supply works, how demand works, and how the overall economy gets pushed forward. Um, and it would greatly do. I think it would do a lot of harm. Uh, I mean, it brings up a broader issue. I've the only issue I've ever had with really the education system is the push to not teach a lot of those things in high schools and. Um, or at a young, or even in colleges, at a young age. Like realistically speaking, man, you know they talk about in college. You know, they make you take these gen eds. Mm -hmm. And what's their argument? You're well rounded. Yeah. Right. Well, I would think if we're talking about higher education, there should at least be a requirement for all undergraduates to have some sort of at least financial planning. Uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, background or like a couple classes on that. What's funny is there's something that's making headway is this show on Netflix mm. about financial management. It just came out. Okay. Uh, and it's this guy and it's like seven part series and he goes over various things, car payments, house payments, how to save money, you know, the basic stuff, right? Yeah. For that things that anybody who's who exists should know, right? Yeah. And uh, one of the things that he was talking about is like, especially people who don't necessarily pay attention to their finances that often pay so much in hidden fees over the course of their lifetime you know 45 50 percent uh uh sorry 4.5 sometimes five percent in fees a year which could some years you know all you make is four percent so that just kills all of your uh uh gains right there but mm -hmm. um yeah it, it's 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 wild that it's just that stuff's just not Top because then you get you get sometimes you get those misconceptions and and sometimes people go for the wrong things. Uh, another good example is is uh, I wouldn't say wrong things because I don't know the correct answer to it, but an example of where some where the people were actually educated on it after they voted for it was Brexit. Mm. Right, there was this huge push for Brexit because the parties responsible for pushing that said that all of these great things were going to happen to our communities, you know, the British communities, mm -hmm. by pushing for Brexit. And then once the vote was passed, the various journalists, you know, went out and polled people because it was actually quite surprising that it won. Uh, people were shocked by how many people turned up and voted, mm -hmm. mostly because the marketing was pretty good for this campaign. And they asked people, you know, did you know this was going to happen? Did you know this? Did you know you voted for this? Did you know you voted for this? And people on the streets were dumbfounded. They were like, I didn't know that. I just thought, you know, we're together. And it, it was crazy to see the amount of people that actually turned up and voted for something that they had no idea uh, the ramifications of. Now, the people who did know and voted, right, that's not really the issue. No. But it's that other part where it's like, this is... There's something not right about that because you can go out there and, and say you stand for something that maybe you don't actually want. Yeah, no, 100 percent. And um, I actually did want to talk about I, I wanted to talk to you about this off the pod, but I guess I'll just say it on here. Um, I didn't vote for this past mayoral election in Chicago. Neither did I. Yeah, I'm very disappointed in myself that I didn't. I'm, because because here's the thing, and it's not because I'm not going to give this guy the benefit of the doubt. That's not what I'm trying to say, because I, I do think. I do think any upgrade is better than 
the way Lori Lightfoot governed the city. Sure. Um, and I think Brandon Johnson has an opportunity now to really make some significant change if he does the things he says he wants to do. Um, the problem becomes now I put myself in a position where I have to sit here and I can't complain about a single thing that happens because I didn't take 50 seconds. Well, I didn't take 30 minutes out of my day to go and vote. Yeah. Yeah. I feel I, it, it's one of those things where I, I'm, I'm more, and I've said this privately too to people is I don't know enough about the politics of Chicago to even make that decision. And I've only been here for what, not even a year yet. Mm -hmm. So I have no idea how the city's changed under Lori Lightfoot. And knowing our conversations about the news, I don't like, I don't use the news as, a, especially from being here only 10 months, I know that the news is not a reliable source on how the real things are. So, but I agree on your point, and that's vote because you really can't say anything. No. If you didn't go and vote. And mm -hmm. the amount of people that didn't vote, how many people actually voted? It was only like. 10% of the population it, of Chicago was, actually voted? It was so low. I think the total number came up close to 900,000 out of the 2.7, which is really, really embarrassing, man. It's very bad. And then the, and the problem, too, like, it kind of backs up my point, but so many people are going to sit here and complain about the shit going on, and they didn't even do 30 minutes to an hour of due diligence to go vote. And, to go vote. And, and put your vote in. Because my thing on it is this. If you vote... You've made it clear your intentions. You made it clear your backing. So if the opposite happens of what you wanted to happen, you could sit there and say, yeah, this is not what I wanted to happen. I wanted this guy for this reason and, and this and this and this. Like you, you have a valid argument and your opinion right. is back now because you, you win and you voted. When you don't vote, you have to sit there and take it and your opinion is invalid on any topic because you did a disservice and chose to not show up to the voting booth that day. Well, and, and, you know, another thing I think is also contributing to th that in a way in terms of where people are at goes back to the goes back to our point earlier, too, was, you know, you mentioned that people move to southern states for work from home life. The other part of it is people are moving away from states and going to those states where, like you said before, too, taxes are lower. And, and that those things and it, like it, it's funny to see that. Uh, especially with my background, just what happens in different various places in terms of tax law and how that's influenced by, you know, stuff outside of tax. And that's, uh, it, it's just apparent that billions and billions of dollars of wealth has left Illinois in general. Mm -hmm. So um, we'll really see what ends up happening because at the end of the day, money talks. Yeah. So, you know, at some point, uh, there, there might be a, a tide shift. So it'll be, it'll be definitely interesting to see also how, um, that process itself changes in our lifetime. I think that we might be voting a different way in the next 20 years with, uh, the way technology is moving. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, that's another, and whole nother layer to talk about too, is when you add AI and, all of this new technology that's coming into play in the next few years and how it's really going to start affecting like everyday life. Yeah. Uh, when jobs get, start getting lost because of it, when with the Drake thing you sent me, like literally <sighs> there's a, obviously I'm sure you guys have heard it by now, but there's a Drake song that's circling TikTok that is completely AI generated. They basically just took a ton of clips of his voice and they made a perfect song, something that sounds exactly like Drake because it is Drake. It's his voice. And it's something that he would put on one of his best albums. And it's crazy how accurate the thing is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wild, man. I, the only thing I can realistically compare it to is the industrial revolution, the, the invention of the car. Like, yeah, we're, we're, we're at that level of like, yeah, it's not whatever you thought happened before is not the same anymore. You know, I, I have a kind of funny thought on this. When we were kids, you remember when our parents always used to tell us, oh, back in my day, I had to used to go to the library and pick up a book if I wanted to find something out. Now you can just type it in Google and it shows up. That wasn't necessarily true. If you type something on Google back in the day, you still had to do a little bit of digging on your own. Like you had to find the right article. You had to read through the article. There wasn't a way to like really speed through or maybe like find something as quick as you really wanted to with AI. It is exactly what they were describing 
15 years ago when we were kids. You can literally type something in and the answer will pop up and a lot of times out of not, it's correct. Yeah, I, it's funny. You didn't pass CPA exam. Let's go, there we baby. Go. We're good to go, baby. I know, you were so happy about that. I was so happy about that. And you know, it's funny, maybe in like... It, some go- coder out there is going to be like, oh, yeah, kid, challenge accepted. Ten days later, like open AI can <laughs> can just rip tax returns. But I think it is it is crazy the fact that you are right, man. When you type in like, hey, I type it. I, you know what I use it for, too? It's like simple stuff. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I have a, a couple uh, polos that are a special type of material that you can't wash. Right. I'm not a connoisseur of laundry products. And, and I mostly do laundry, so I don't have to think about laundry. And I type in, you know, I have this fabric. Uh, what? How do I wash this? And it tells me four different things I could do <laughs> and what's more practical. And, and to just, and you know, oh, you, you got to hand wash it, but you can't soak it in like that. And I'm like, perfect. Thanks, man. That's it. That, like, <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted. It's like phoning a friend that just knows something. You know, you, you got a guy that knows how to, you got, you got a mechanic friend. And it's like, eventually you'll be able to tell the AI, like, okay. Uh, this lights on this lights on I have this car and uh, this is its make and model and this is the past issues okay your thing's 98% a this issue mm-hmm. and and I was like and then you can ask it if I go to a mechanic what are the common things that they're gonna scam me on yeah <laughs> right you that, can get you can get in there and yeah. it, it it gets really really crazy with uh, really where number one where it goes and what you can take of it what in terms of jobs being lost at the end of the day i think a lot of the i think a lot of it will be backstopped by the fact that there needs to be a fail safe in a lot of jobs right mm-hmm. because the ai is not right and forget anything to do with accounting right the ai it will make a lot of mistakes in general things and what we need to not be sitting here thinking is like oh you know it's gonna it's gonna remove uh all of the uh like maybe librarians because we'll never need You'll never need a librarian when an AI can just tell you and to move the tell tell the robot where to move the books and everything. That will just never be needed. It'll just tell you. And it's like, okay, well, slow down. Like someone needs to be there when the robot is completely malfunctioning. And I don't mean it's like taking over the world, but yeah. I mean like it's just, uh, you know, not working properly. There needs to be somebody there. But I don't know. I don't know what's first. But we'll be. I'll be interested to see what happens. Yeah, we got a wild time coming up, man. Really, an interesting time. Um, you know, it's crazy too, cause in a lot of those old shows back in the day, like specifically the Jetsons, you remember by the year, two th- by the year 2000, they thought that they were going to be flying cars and that we were going to have things that did things for us. And like, we're just starting now though, to enter like legitimate AI integration into almost everything we do. And it's, it's really cool to see and that we're kind of growing up with that. And it, I think at the end of the day, it'll make your life better. Yeah, I agree. It's right. made mine better already. You know, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. It it's it whether it helps you at work, whether it helps you in your daily life, I think it um I think the people who actually hop on the trend the hardest will will win the most. Yeah. Okay. Genuinely. Because you know what's funny? I, I know enough people who don't know much about it. Oh, they've kind of they've seen it, they've seen videos, but they don't know anything about it. They don't use it. Mm-hmm. Right. They're like, I mean, I just I don't know. I don't use it really. It's like, oh, I mean, what what can I do with it? You know, and just oh, they just have or they just have fun with it. And you know, you could do that. I don't. <laughs> I know Snapchat has an AI bot yeah. for you. I think it might run on ChatGPT. I'm not sure, but I haven't personally used it because I obviously just use GPT four on OpenAI's website. But um, I know enough people who have started using it and were like, oh, it, I like use it for funny comments and stuff. And mm. it's like, you know, that's not personally what I use it for. But at the end of the day, technology, tech is tech. Yeah. Right. When, when, <laughs> when the internet came out, you know, they, people did all sorts of stuff with it. So yeah. I think, um, I'm just excited, dude, really. Yeah, me too. A hundred percent. Um, what else can we get into here? We're on a roll. I'm trying to think. Um, we really, I, I just, I think it's funny that we're, 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 we're in a spot where I, I don't want to sit there and make early bets on, on where the general landscape of things are going. But one of my bets is that there's going to be like a large exodus from college. And mm-hmm. I know that's not necessarily, uh, maybe it's not an outlandish take, um, 
certainly the people that we follow and look up to believe that. But my belief in that is just because uh, of that AI point is that why can't I just get this computer to teach me everything I need to know from a basic K through five level? Like mm -hmm. K through five is extremely important, right? Yeah. But if we can just nail down like those early basic elementary things, like I don't, I, I don't, I don't know at some point where, you know, eventually college will just be, you, it, I don't know what it would turn into. I don't know what the value of college becomes. Yeah. No, you know what? I think you make a great point. And I like that you subjected it only to college. Yeah. Because I do think that there's a lot of value, especially in an early child's life, to get that human interaction in whatever way it is. Right. In a classroom with a teacher. Right. Doing hands-on work. I think that's integral. I think that will always be a you part can't of... replace that. I, yeah. I think it like needs to always be a part of our society. But in terms of college, man, you make a really good point. Because, like, what's stopping me at 18 from getting a free education, or maybe not free, but a lot cheaper than I would be spending at a huge institution, right? And in four years down the road, I have a degree, or maybe not a degree, but all the skills I need to enter the workforce, and I don't need to drown myself in over 100K in debt. And there'll be AI-driven classes, too. Yeah. So it, it could be one of those things where people are like, oh, people use AI bots to cheat on their English papers, and they cheat on their exams, and they do all this stuff. Hey, when the class is taught by the AI, <laughs> it knows when you're cheating. Facts. You know what I mean? It, it, it could just withhold the information from you, or not necessarily, sorry, withhold, but you know, withhold it in the moment. At the end of the day, if it's an AI run class, the AI could just wipe its history when it's time to take the test, mm. you know? And obviously, yeah, what could you do? You could write it down and all that stuff. You could still have a proctored exam, but it's an AI driven class. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, shout out grandma, grandma back in England. She, uh, administers exams. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it could be totally possible that in 30 years or 20 years or 10 years that that person's only purpose is to make sure that the AI thing is working and just make sure everybody's in class and no one's, you know, creating any problems and trying to hack the machine mm -hmm. realistically, yeah, you know, it, yeah. the, but at the end of the day, the day-to-day -day instruction would be driven by a, a computer. No, totally right, man. There's so much room for human interaction still. Yeah, you make a lot of good points. I like the librarian example too, because realistically, man, like what does a librarian do now? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. You know? Yeah. So you make a great point. Like at the end of the day, it's not necessarily taking away anything from their work. It might even make it more exciting, if anything. Right. Because librarian, to me, what a libra librarian does is they sit at the front desk and they tell you where a book is. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah, or, you, you know, what you used to do is go up to them and ask them, I'm looking for a book on, I'm looking for a really good recipe book. Yeah. And then I'm they looking for a good Italian recipe book. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think I know. Now, right, the AI might know that, but at the same time, you know, the librarian might become a social media manager where it's like, well, where do I position the books when people walk in? Yeah. Right? That still matters. Mm hmm you know, not everything's going to be online checkout. No, it's true, man. Marketing's still super important. Another cool thing, I don't know if you've noticed, is the fact that Apple pays in everything and Apple Pay makes everything better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. It, everything. Everything from your restaurant bill to, like, I, I was at the airport when I flew back. Mm -hmm. There was this uh, taco place. And I was like, all right, I'm dying for three steak tacos, right? Yeah. And I go there and the line is like around the corner, right? It's mostly older people, mm -hmm. but there's a group of young people standing in another corner. And I like walk over there because I'm curious and there's like a little uh, QR code. And I was like, order here, <laughs> right? So there's about 30 people in line. Mind yeah. you, this is like a small airport taco shop. This isn't like a big restaurant, right? 30 people are in line, uh, all older, right? And there's like four people who are younger ordering. So I obviously order on the QR code, yeah. right? Order on my phone, Apple Pay, thank you, done, right? By the, like, they got five people in line by the time us five kids got all our food, <laughs> right? And the people in line were like, how did, how did they get their food so fast? It's like, it, <laughs> I mean, that's maybe, that's maybe what you said, you know? Uh, like, but but it, it's one of those things where that, that type of technology makes things like go. At the end of the yeah. day, why do I sit? Why do we sit in line? 
I know we, I go to Starbucks and I see people when they see a line is more than three people long, we'll just order it on their phone. Yeah. In Starbucks, not even before they, they came to Starbucks. Yeah. That happens all the time for sure. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you use it a lot? Uh, yeah. Anytime I really can. Yeah. If, if I'm checking out at anywhere at a restaurant, I think it's just easier. Um, it's, it's, it, that's one of the cool things about the uh, it being integrated into restaurants now is that you don't even need to like give the server your card anymore, and that saves like I don't know five ten minutes of time. Mm-hmm. Like you just handing over your card, you have she having to come back, you having to sign the fucking receipt. Yeah, you don't have to. You save none like, of that. It kills like five ten minutes, and people are like, oh, it's just five ten minutes. Like it's not that big a deal, but in the grand scheme of things, five ten minutes if you're eating out every meal is almost half an hour. Adds up. Do you tap? You tap to pay. On the CTA. Yeah, yeah. Right? I use my phone. Yeah. Bing. So Done. easy, dude. Done. Right? Like reload when I'm walking. You know the amount of issues in subways used to be because of cards? Yeah. Malfunctioning. Mm-hmm. The card didn't oh the card ate it. It didn't bring it back up. Yep. Like it the and strip just, doesn't work. It, oh, back up at you know rush hour traffic on yeah. the CTA. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're you thought you'd be in a, a war zone when sometimes at five thirty. You know, and now it's, it's you know, people just, bing, Dude, yeah, gone. it's easy money. Now. Gone. And you know what? Now even the camera will be able to just see that. It, the camera will get good enough. This is one of the things uh, a friend of mine I was working for a company for is the facial recognition in cameras mm. and stuff that all airports in the United States are getting this new technology. I forgot what it's called. But it's going to even be better at storing your face. And in fact, when you go out of the country and you come back in the U.S., they take a picture of your face. Mm. Now, they took a picture of my face when I got back from England, and I know for a fact that's getting stored in a database. So now it's like every single airport basically in the country will basically know that you're there. You don't even need to go through because it's stored when you flew in and out of the country one time. That's crazy. You know, and yeah. obviously it's used to catch criminals, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not in the camp of people that really data privacy to me. I, I get it. It's important in terms of personal information and getting hacked. You don't want credit cards being opened in your name. But at the same time, it's like I, I know for a fact that it's going to make homeland security and defense and and making sure people are protected at major events and stopping bad attacks happening around the world i know for a fact that's going to make it better because at the end of the day you know you're going to be able to catch terrorists and stuff like that faster and criminals and to me that's worth the price that's my opinion that maybe not be yours i get the argument for data privacy i'm not sure where you stand on that but that's just my point of view no, yeah, I think you're 100% right. I gave up on data privacy when I was like 11 or 12 years old, man, to be completely honest with you. I was on I was on Safari all the time. I was never clearing my search history. I had you're YouTube. Leading, you're leading a dangerous life, my friend. Yeah, I, I, but seriously, though, you know. Don't like, worry, man. Don't it's, worry, it's been, man. It's been years. I'm sure, at, I'm sure some company somewhere has my data stored away. They have everything. And, and that, it is what it is. Yeah. Like, I, it's been, we're 23 now. It's been, I don't know, 13 years of the internet that we've probably legitimately been using it. More, yeah. So, yeah. like, I've, I've already given up on that pipe dream of data privacy. Yeah, and it's, I mean, and to an extent, right? But I, I completely agree with yeah. you. It's like, you want, at the end of the day, bro. As long as my fucking identity doesn't get stolen, knock on fucking wood. Right, no. And, that, and, and right. the shit that, like, is actually my finances, nothing happens with those. What are what are you gonna do to me? And it's funny because it's like 13 years ago we were like so scared to give our phone number to anybody, and now you know any random, I, I mean maybe maybe I'm just not the smartest with this, but the places I shop at for clothes the most have my phone number. Every airline I fly with has my phone number. Random stores have my phone number. Like everybody has your phone number. You make reservations through text. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. you get updates on everything through text. You get offers through text. It, it 13 years ago we were like, I'm don't give your phone number out to random people. And now it's like you put it in a random website. Like yeah. everybody's got your phone number. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh one of the things I forgot to mention when we were talking about AI was the new Twitter feature. Have you seen it? It is my favorite thing about Twitter, and anyone who's been trashing Elon Musk can go suck a fat one. Dude, it now has a misinformation button, essentially. So now there'll, there'll be tweets that'll come out, and it'll be like, man and daughter were slain by cheetah in Africa, and it'll show some video, and then there'll be a little bubble that pops up behind it because somebody will find it, a fact checker, and they'll write, 
uh, the the above isn't factually correct. This was actually a man and his uh, niece, and they weren't slaughtered by a cheetah. They were instigating the cheetah prior to the video being taken. Stuff like, like that. Stuff like that, yeah. dude, that makes misinformation being spread so much harder to actually come by. It, it is, I think it is the best feature that Twitter has now, and it's so happening all the time. So that's an AI. I, no, I don't know if it's AI. Okay. I, I just think it's a feature that um, Elon Musk no. has added. Yeah, But man. it's like a fact check now. That guy's going to win, dude. Dude, easily. He bought it at a loss. He knew he bought it at a loss. He didn't care. No. He didn't care. Uh, it kind of dives into your world where it's like, if you know it's gonna, if you know where it, you could take it, the loss to everybody else is a win for you. For sure, a hundred percent. This will be what actually gets him to like, basically be might be the greatest entrepreneur ever. Mm -hmm. I think is the the rocket company to Mars. You changed cars, and you own the culture of the world it yep. runs on twitter people love twitter all countries and uh different people i've met are all on twitter mm -hmm. so um no dude i definitely i definitely agree i was gonna uh i know we didn't want to necessarily dive into sports too too much but no we could get uh, into i it did want to say your lake show yeah, it's a, it's a parade inside my it's city, party. yeah. It's a, party. <laughs> it's a parade inside my city, yeah. yeah Dylan man. Brooks, where you at, boy? Little bitch. <laughs> um, yeah, he won't ever come on this podcast. Uh, yeah, dude, I mean, Lake Show, baby. I've been saying it since the trade deadline. I've been telling you this. I've been telling Javi this. They're the deepest team in the NBA. They fixed every single hole that they had at the trade deadline. Now they just need to execute, and I think they can make the NBA Finals. It's going to be... This is LeBron's. I think this is LeBron's toughest road to the finals in his career. Could be, but I mean, it, the two seed, the two seed Grizzlies. He's got to take on the defending champions next round. Then he's got to take on KD, CP3, and Devin Booker in the Western Conference Finals, and he'll probably end up seeing Seventy Sixers or Celtics. You never know. The Nuggets Denver, can sneak by. No, I think Denver could win that series. I, fair, they could win. But either way. Either one of those teams wins. It's, they either play the one or the three seed in the Western Conference Finals. By the way, this isn't biased because I'm telling you to do both. I think it's worth a bet betting on either the Heat, both the Heat and the Knicks, because at the end of the day, either one of them are going to have a shot at pretty decent odds. Mm -hmm. You know, they have one more round to go. Yep. You know, and realistically speaking, I think either one of them can sneak one in. Uh, and that's more of a sneak than Denver is. I think Denver's a very good team, but uh, I think it's worth a shot. And I, I would even go out venture to say it's worth a shot on the Heat because Jimmy Butler's on a different. I don't. He's got. He's fight, he's talking about fighting demons, man. That guy. <laughs> whoo. Yeah. I'm so proud of that dude. But it, it's uh, he can be scary just because of him. Yeah. If you can be dropping that, that did you see the way that. That series ended. Yeah. That overtime. Man, dude, that that stuff that's the stuff you like to see. That's the MB that's when the NBA is the most fun. Oh, absolutely. He's one of those guys too that his story is amazing. I don't know if you know much about him, but Juco. He, he was yeah, Juco. He was homeless before that. He had a very similar story to Michael Orr on the blind side. Mm. Like he got taken in by a white mother and she basically raised him mm -hmm. and she sent him to school. Right, and, right, 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 right. And it was a it was it's a really cool story. So I'm happy with the guy. I'm happy he's winning. <laughs> you know what's funny though about it is that this guy now for got drafted in twenty eleven, so for twelve years has been pretty much one of the top fifteen players in the NBA. Mm. Can make an argument that a couple years he got in the top ten range. Maybe he's in the top ten range right now. I'm not I, I don't I don't have a strong opinion on that. But what I will say is the Chicago Bulls let him walk in like 2013. And the Chicago Bulls have gone through like three rebuilds since that time when in reality they could have just built around him. Yeah. And that's a tough pill to that's swallow. That's a very tough pill to swallow. I, I, I don't knock the move, but I, I understand your point. I, that one's tough. That one's tough. Because Jimmy Butler is a player you could build around, definitely. But at the same time, it's not It's not a Giannis, but it's not like they've ever had a Giannis. Yeah. It's not a Devin Booker, but it's not like they've ever they got a Devin Booker. Zach Levine's not not on that level. No. You know? Um, so uh, and then shout out Lori Marketing for winning um 
Was it most improved? Yeah. Was it six man? It was most improved. Most improved. Most improved. <laughs> That's, uh, I don't know. I just like taking shots. Shots, at, shots at the Bulls. Man, the Chicago organizations, listen, they, they uh, the Bears had a, I think, decent draft from what I've heard. Oh, what'd you um, rate the Cowboys draft? Uh, it wasn't flashy, but they've done enough in the draft to make me calm about it. I'm not too worried. Most of their talent has came from there. They don't do much in free agency. So yeah, I, I trust them. They've produced a lot of great talent from the draft. Um, wasn't flashy, but they filled a lot of needed holes. Stopping the run. O-line. Did you see that? That the guy, this guy, he got dra- ended up getting drafted top 10 in the second round, but he was supposed to be like a top 10 pick. Oh, Will Levis? He, Will Levis had, he had like the most streams and views and clicks <laughs> of know. anybody in the entire draft. <laughs> you know why? And he came in the second round. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you uh, are curious as to why, go back and watch just, those videos. Just look up Will's Levis and then two letters, uh, GF. And you'll figure it out. Yeah, man. I think um, uh, it's just it's just funny how that works. <laughs> Poor guy got drafted second round. He was all excited to get drafted top ten, but uh, you know, hey, press is press, right? Press is press, man. And honestly, I root for guys like that. I hope he goes out and dominates and is the best quarterback in this draft. Yeah, you know, I don't know exactly what happened for him to fall that far. I think it, I, part of it I thought well, had to do with just sheer chance. Um, no, he he had a he had a down year. He had a down year, but what, but he was projected to even go top ten going into the draft, though. So I foot injury too. Okay, really? Yeah. Okay. I think uh, they didn't announce it till like the, his pro day or something like that. So foot injury, and then he was a Heisman candidate in twenty one or twenty two, and then this past year he just he where'd, didn't have his. Where'd Bijan Robinson go? Uh, he is on the. Look that up, bro. I should know this. He's going to be the number one drafted player in fantasy football. He went number nine. I forgot. Yeah, he was top nine. ten pick. I think the Texans. Or the... Uh, what well, I think it was the Texans, right? No. Falcons. Falcons. That's a good Atlanta. move. Atlanta. That's a good move. Yeah, it is, dude. Who, oh, yeah. They got a young QB. Yeah. No, my taxi squad. Let's go, Desmond Ritter. I'm rooted for you this year, baby. Is your boy back? A Rod, A Rod's no. back. Calvin Ridley. Oh yeah, he is. Yeah, Dude, my team's looking good, baby. Yeah, I'm a sleeper in our league. I should have like I don't know. No, my player got popped for gambling. It's Unfortunate. Right. It, there should be there should be some sort of gray area. That by the way, he was betting on the World Cup. Yeah. Okay, he was betting on the World Cup. Like there's. There's got to be some sort of check there. Like, I get it. You don't want him gambling on NFL games. We all understand. But come on. Like, the other one of the other guys on the team, though, did gamble on the Lions. <laughs> and that, man, uh, on lists of things that are smart, pretty far down. Yeah, on that very list. far down. Not, not very high up. Um, but the, the World Cup, man, come on. Give the guy a break. Everybody bets the World Cup. Yeah, for as commonplace as gambling is now in the U.S., too. But come on. There's got to be some rules and regulations. In Michigan, too? I mean, come on. Man. Yeah, he ain't got much to do with Michigan's there. got casino on their gambling apps. That's so dangerous. That is messed up. Do people just... You know people who just hit the slots just for the satisfaction of pressing the hit button, not even for winning any money? Mm. That hurts my brain. Messed up, man. To be fair, I think a lot of other games are pretty close, but no, that's messed up. Because you could go play slots at, like, a bar. Dude, like, why go to the yeah. casino to play slots? You can go play slots at a bar. I know, but so many people do. I know. We've Unfortunate. Been to, dude, the times we've been to Rivers. Oh, they're packed. Packed. They're packed. You can't get a spot at the slots. It's like, I, I didn't even understand. Yeah. I'm like, why is it so hard to get a spot yeah. playing slots? <laughs> you can get a spot at the blackjack table. You can't get a spot at the slots to save your life. You got to wait in line. No, except for the Tank Davis fight. <laughs> yeah. That, that night was bussing, man. How about them apples? How about them apples? What did I say? Okay? That was not even close. It wasn't close. Not even close. I don't care what anybody has to say. Not even close. He pieced them together, and he killed them with a liver shot. Yep. All right? There's not, there's not more that needs to be said there. Nothing more. He can go fight whoever he wants now. He can make some bigger fights. I think he can make bigger fights than the fights that he already had. That fight had over a million buys, I think, or like 950,000. It was like one of the most streamed fight in three years. I'm so excited for for number one, Tank Davis, because I've been a fan of his for a very, very long time. And I think 
the potential fights that he can make in the future are going to be huge. Um, when Errol Spence and Crawford end up fighting, that's going to be huge too. Yep. So uh, you called it too earlier on. You said you thought boxing was coming back. Yeah, that's man. one of your predictions for 23. So um, you're so far so good there, Ed. Listen, man, another big fight coming up. Devin Haney, Vasily Lomachenko for the lightweight crown. Going to be huge. Two of the best guys in the lightweight division. And realistically speaking, only thing left for the winner of that fight is to go fight Tank Davis, and that's just going to be another fucking mega hit. I really hope it's Devin Haney. I would love to see Devin Haney, Tank Davis, the two best of the best in that division, and let him go to fucking war. And honestly, man, I want to see Ryan Garcia fully healthy, no fucking little excuses, fight somebody. I want to see him come back. Uh, yeah, some somebody at that level, and then maybe get a rematch with Tank at some point down the road. But clearly, his his level of competition up to the point of fighting Tank was very low, and uh, he needed a fight like that to wake him up a little bit. I think he'll I think he'll b- bounce back. And um, yeah, for for the divi- for that lightweight division to be as good as I think it can be, he's got to be a big part of it. So yeah, unfortunately, heavyweight division is going to go crashing down into slumber when. Tyson Fury retires and oh yeah it's tough it's that's gonna be over it's tough man it's, it's just tough. gonna be back to Anthony Joshua beating <laughs> up mid-range fighters yeah yeah I don't know where Deontay Wilder's been I think he's, Tyson Fury knocked him into like retirement yeah uh, you, or maybe you, he's back to fighting trash cans Usyk's kind of mid too um that fight's coming up yeah I mean uh Andy Ruiz but he's you know it's not the heavyweight division of old no not at all but with that being said, I think we can wrap. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for listening. Thank you for watching the videos. Thank you for tuning into the podcast every week. This has been episode number 72, brought to you from nobody. We don't have a sponsor, but we would love to have one. So hit us up if you have any ideas. And we're going to have a lot of guests soon. And go follow us on all our social media pages at T-H-E-S-H-E-D-D-Y-S-H-O-W at The Shetty Show. Let us know who you want to hear next. Shiv, any final thoughts? Nah, man, have a blessed week. Peace.